0: BCC. Good to see you guys, and you're looking better every week. Um, I enjoy fellowshipping with you guys, and it's wonderful to be able to be together, and um, there's no reason to fear, right? The Lord has it. He's in control, and um, that's wonderful to know. I was thinking of a verse this the Lord keeps bringing to my mind. It's been appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment both of those are something to dwell on for sure because you can't do anything about the appointments Um, it's been appointed and uh, God's in control and we have to trust him especially in these times that we're living in today and um, I think that's a great opportunity for the church to be able to share uh, the gospel of Christ and the hope that we have not only for today and tomorrow but the years to come. And think about this, that if you're in Christ, you'll forever be with the Lord one day. Isn't that incredible to think about? That's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he says, forever we'll be with the Lord. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And um, so I trust that today you've come ready to worship the Lord. I wanted to have you turn your Bibles to Revelation in the second chapter. Before we... Um, embark on reading the section wanted to remind you and of the small group ministry that will begin a week from today on Sunday nights and um, you have that small group sheet on your chair and um, you'll see that the first class is full that's always a good thing right and um, so that just means we may need to offer that one again and then um, We've got two others there, as you can see, the temple and then First Peter. I would encourage you guys, if the Lord would lead you, to be a part of that. There are three excellent teachers that are uh, leading these classes, and all of these men love the Lord and want to uh, honor Him uh, through their study, and I know that to be the case. And so I would just ask you to consider that and to pray about that. Also, next Sunday, uh, Children's Church will begin, and we'll have Children's Church... Uh, during the second service and it'll be um for ages four years old through second grade and um it'll it'll take place every sunday except the last sunday of the month and so just to kind of let you guys know that these are things we believe as elders the lord has led us to do and open up and we believe we can be safe with that and you pray about that because the lord again he's in control of that but we certainly would like to see more opportunities where the body can be together. Well, when I was preparing for this week, um, I guess I've been doing that now for four or five weeks, and the more I got into Revelation chapter 2, the more I came to understand that that's a big, it's like a big old elephant. And you just got to bite it off, take it one bite at a time, and there's just a lot to consider. You almost feel like when you're coming into these letters, you're coming kind of into the middle of something. and You, you know, it's like you get a little piecemeal but you don't get the whole thing. And, and today, in our study time together, we'll look a little bit more at the history of the Church of Ephesus. So we might be able to appreciate a little bit more uh, about what the Lord is saying to his church. And we will get through uh, these verses, and hopefully next Sunday will be our last week in this series. But it's really uh, pretty powerful uh, what the Lord uh, says to his church. And what John records, and um, I think it's important for us to to not only read it, but to really ask the Lord to help us to digest it. And help us to consider it, because the message to these churches is appropriate for today. Every single one of them has application. And um, I know how it is, you know, when you read a section of scripture, and you may be familiar with it, and you might have read it even 4, or 5, or 6, or 10, or 12, or 50 times it's like, well, what else can I glean from it? And that's when we have to say, you know, Lord, your word is powerful and it's sharp. And it penetrates. <clears throat> I mean, how many times have you quoted John three sixteen, and and you've, you quote it for the thousandth time, and you're like, man, I've never seen that. I didn't realize that. And what happens is, as you start reading the context and the verses around it, you really become more appreciative uh, for what's being said. So... I think sometimes we put our God in a box when it comes to scriptures. There's just so much to glean. And I'm thankful for his word. And so let's read Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. If you'd stand, please, as we read God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? In case I forget this during my teaching time, <clears throat> that term angel there is the term angelos, and it means messenger. And most of the time it refers to literal angels, and there's a couple of different viewpoints here. It's either a literal angel that was assigned to the ch- over the church of Ephesus, or it's a pastor. So it can also mean, it can mean messenger, can also mean, uh, refer to a human. And so uh, I kind of lead toward the second view there in terms of the pastor, but you can spend all afternoon studying it while you're eating something. I'll figure out what we're going to eat by the time I get back up here. Um... But he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false And you have perseverance or steadfastness, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. It's interesting in verse 5 how just in that short verse, repent is mentioned twice. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy, holy, holy word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we're mindful of your um, instruction to us from cover to cover, and as you tell us in Corinthians, the Old Testament, it just serves as an example for us as we look at the nation of Israel and their relationship with you, and as we fast forward the pages and uh, we see the announcement by John Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. What an announcement. <laughs> wow. what, what must that have been like for John, the Baptist, to be able to do that? And then, Lord, as we fast forward to the pages of Acts, we see the beginning of your church. And we're reminded of Matthew eighteen where, or 16, where it tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And then we fast forward the pages to the letters that are written to churches and um, personal letters. And we're reminded, Lord, that we serve a personal God. A God that uh, loves us, uh, that desires not only relationship, but fellowship. I pray that uh, we've come this morning prepared with our minds and our hearts on you that you would remove the distractions that easily um, take our mind away from what's the most important. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of believers. I thank you for each one that's here, those that are watching that cannot be here. I pray for them today, Lord. I pray you'd encourage them and encourage all of us as we're together that, Lord, through song, uh, as we sing... And through your word, as you instruct us, that we would be um, just thankful people Um, and and people of anticipation that one day we will be singing to you in your presence. And we'll be listening to the greatest teacher of all, and that's you. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Um, May you be honored in all we do in Christ's name.
1: guys, y'all can remain standing. It's great to see everybody this morning. I've been looking forward all week to this, guys. This is one of the main reasons what we're about to do is one of the main reasons that the Lord says don't forsake the gathering together, right? Because we need to hear each other singing and praising. It's a little foretaste to heaven. And uh, so we've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, Thad mentioned that uh, a verse in his head was, it's appointed unto man once to die. There was a man 2,000 years ago that met that appointment, but he didn't stay there. And that's who we want to sing about this morning. So you guys, let's sing together.
2: understand. What God has willed, what God has planned. I only know that His right hand stands one who is my Savior. I seek Him at His word and I to see me beside me, and in my heart I find a need of him to be my savior that he will leave his place on high and come for sinful men. So what the I before I knew my Savior? My Savior loves, my Savior is, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God, He's always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior is, my Savior's always there for me. My God. He is to be my king Once died to be my savior That he will leave his place on high And come for sinful man to die You count it strange so once did I My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me, my God he was, my God he is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior is, my Savior's always there for me. My God He wants, my God He is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior is, my Savior's always there for me. loves my Savior lives. <clears throat> there is a fountain
1: A seat. Our God is a solid rock. He's not a pebble, right? He doesn't move. He's never shaken. Um, and we can stand on him. Uh, the song before last, we sang a phrase that says, Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I want to read something from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. We're being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Peter writes this, something that every one of us are familiar with in this building this morning. In verse 6, he says, In this, so in our salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So all of us in this building this morning are familiar with trials. And we know the trials in James, we know that trials builds perseverance and endurance. And that perseverance and endurance of the faith then leads to the the perfection of our faith, the, the maturing of our faith. But it's interesting here that going through trials is also an opportunity for us to bring glory to the Lord as we demonstrate that we trust him in the midst of the trial. So I was thinking about that phrase, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So is redeeming love our theme in the midst of trials? Is that still our theme or are we shaken by the trial itself? Or do we trust that the Lord has purpose in those trials? This song we're about to sing is just about praising the Lord. and I want you guys to think about that. Are, Are we praising him in the midst of the storms of life that he allows to come our way as well?
2: But here and drenched in tears They laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all
0: We appreciate that this morning. I was reminded as Kevin was reading that, you know, a lot of times uh, for us, the scriptures are just a good reminder. Uh, We read and we study books, um, but sometimes we just need to hear those verses, right? And the Lord always seems to have uh, the right ones at the right time. Um, Take your Bibles and go back to the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Relation 2, I've entitled this series, A Personal Examination. Um, I really hope you don't grow weary today, because there's a lot of history today, and I, I know how that goes. Um, you remember school, when you are in history class, and you're like, ah, you know. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen today. I hope you appreciate um, what takes place as we... A study together. Um, but I want us to take what's been sa- what's being said here in the Revelation 2 and think of it in terms of the Lord writing to a church, an assembly of believers, so every one of those believers individually were to consider the words. Does that make sense? And then those letters circulated among the churches there in Asia Minor. And so I think it's important for us to kind of keep that in context, that these letters, while written to specific churches, uh, circulated and each individual member of every assembly was to consider what was being said just like for us we're to consider the whole of scripture we're, we're not permitted to just carve up what we like does that make sense we have to take the whole of it um and hey listen i'm, I'm like you there's lots of days i want to read encouraging things but there's times when um we need kind of that punch in the gut to kind of wake up and and really see what's going on in our lives and and as you can read through these letters in chapters two and three that's what the author does i mean the lord as he's giving this message through john to these churches i mean there are a lot of things that he says that are pretty good but there's some times where he'll stop and he'll pause and kind of hey you need to pay attention to this um about a month ago i received a letter in the mail and you know how the 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 envelope itself um some windows are kind of big you know where they have the address well this particular window was huge and it had in that window irs so whenever you receive a letter from the irs and it is in the month of august you're like huh And so it always gets my attention pretty rapidly. In fact, I typically do this. I'll take the letter and I won't even, you know, go in the house. I'll just, in park, car maybe still running if it's hot, open that baby up and go, okay, Lord, what is it? Well, in this particular case, I owe $38 to the IRS. Hallelujah. (laughs) But my point is this. Sometimes we receive letters and we're just like, eh, we throw it to the side. Sometimes we get those and we're like, ooh, well, that's kind of the way these are. These letters are intended to get the attention of the audience with which the Lord instructs. And so I want us to think about, uh, on a personal level, us dealing with this question that we started with a couple of weeks ago. Have you left your first love? And that's something that they had to consider as a congregation. I think it's something that we should consider as a congregation and specifically individually in our own lives. And we talked about kind of some ways to know that. You know, how how would we know if we've done that? Um, what in the world is he talking about? We're going to get to that next week. But how, how should we consider that? You know, what are some, I guess, um, benchmarks? You know, how can we look at that and go, hey, you know am i really desiring to be in the word prayer you know is that important to me i mean the fellowship with the lord is the most important and and we talked about last week the fellowship with one another and how important and imperative that is and so you know you start looking at that and you start considering you know do i think of more of the things of the earth than than the things in heaven you know and the lord kind of gives us a solution for that problem if you have that problem you know, if we have that problem, we just need to, to turn to Philippians chapter four and he says, well, on these things. And these things that he's talking about in that context are heavenly things. So as we come to um, this particular uh, letter, I think that's really the question that they had to consider because he said to them, you've done that. <laughs> you've already done that. So for us in the context today, we have to consider, have we done that? You know, or maybe are we on that slippery slope To doing that and so it just began this like research i'm thinking okay well how did these people arrive at this point you know we we're kind of caught right here uh as john communicates to this church about the lord's thoughts about what was going on there in ephesus but but how did they get to this point because as this letter is written i mean you're talking about 95 96 that this is written and um the church at ephesus First, you know, the interaction, as you're going to see in just a minute, was about 52 or 53. And then Paul writes to him in 62. So you're like, you know, a lot of time had transpired between the initial contact that Paul had and then what they receive here from John. And so, obviously, these are second-generation believers. And along with the ones there, I believe, probably some who still were there, still present. And so I begin to think, okay, well, you know, first-generation believers, second-generation believers— It is difficult, isn't it, to hand down that, isn't it? Think about your family, right? How difficult it is to hand down um, the faith, your love for the Lord, your zeal for him, to your kids and to your grandkids. And it's like, you know, some some of that, over time, it seems to kind of be more difficult. How do you communicate your personal faith and your love for the Lord to your kids and to your grandkids? Because, let's be honest, we want them to go, yeah. Right, grab it with all they got. And there seems to be some problem here in the church at Ephesus as it related to specifically their first love. And so it got me on this um, march through the book of Acts a little bit. And so historically, if you look back, one of the first things we need to understand about the church at Ephesus was that their first contact with the Apostle Paul was at the end of his second missionary journey in Acts eighteen. Some believe that's when the church began, um, some believe Acts 19, uh, when he returns on his third missionary journey. But nonetheless, one of the things that kind of stood out to me, just in that initial contact, you can tell that they want him to be there, right? As you read those verses. But then you notice at the end of that, that section there in Acts 18, he says, I will return to you again if God wills. But that just kind of caught my attention, you know, that Paul's life was built around what God wanted, right? That's a good thing. And so obviously we know that as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he was all about spreading the gospel of Christ. And so the initial contact here with this group of people was in AD 52. And so you fast forward the pages then, and you see the next contact. And this is between... AD 54 and 56, Paul stays there for two to three years. Most believe it was a three-year period, it seems to be, according to the scriptures. Um, But he goes to the city of Ephesus. He spends two to three years teaching in the city of Ephesus. Um, And we're told, kind of, at the first part of verse 8, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months. Uh, He seemed like that kind of guy, didn't he? He didn't seem to have a problem with speaking out boldly for for the gospel. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he is faithfully discharging his responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And as you go down further down into the verse, notice that last part. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So you have Paul's initial contact with him in Acts chapter 18. You have a period of time that he spends with this group of people. And so there's a church that forms there in Ephesus, according to Acts chapter 19. And they were met with a lot of different um, challenges. As you read through chapter 19, you'll see that. And one of those challenges centered around the temple Artemis, and a, specifically a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith. And I wanted to show just a little bit of a video. It's about four minutes long, but it kind of gives you um, some perspective on how central that temple of Artemis was um, in that day, in that time. I think it will help you to appreciate a little bit more of it helped me to appreciate, wow, in the midst of this pagan culture, because Ephesus was a huge city. We need to think of, in fact, some theologians said, hey, think of it like New York City, like San Francisco. It was a bed of sin and godlessness, okay? A city of uh, 250,000 people. Now, that doesn't sound very big in our day in our time, but that was huge in Asia Minor. It was the biggest city. And so I want you to kind of look at this video and think about the challenges that Paul faced as the Lord continued to build his church.
3: The cult of Artemis had a powerful following here. During the Roman period, prominent generals and politicians would come to Ephesus to offer sacrifices to the statue of Artemis, also known as Diana. While many other gods were worshiped here at Ephesus, Artemis was by far the most prominent deity in the first century. The cult of Artemis in Ephesus goes back hundreds of years prior to the Greeks, Our first record of a temple to Artemis here is one that was destroyed by flood in the 7th century B.C. Under orders from King Croesus of Lydia, it was rebuilt out of marble around 550 B.C. But that version was destroyed by fire in 356 B.C. Local myth says that Artemis was away helping Olympias give birth to Alexander the Great when the fire broke out. Allegedly, that's why Artemis was unable to protect her shrine from destruction. The Temple to Artemis was rebuilt yet again, but this time on an even grander scale, taking 120 years to finish. Historians such as Pliny and Antipater even called it one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. during the time of Paul, this Temple to Artemis was one of the largest and most impressive structures in the entire Mediterranean region, about four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens. Here is an awesome recreation of the structure at a park in Istanbul, Turkey. According to Pliny, the Temple of Artemis was situated on a platform about 425 by 239 feet. The temple itself was 352 by 163 feet with 127 columns that were 60 feet tall and over six feet thick. 36 of these columns were sculptured and overlaid with gold. The temple was built northeast of the city on marshy soil to protect the structure from earthquakes. At one time, the waves of the Mediterranean could actually come right up to one side of the temple. The cult of Artemis dominated here in Ephesus until the influence of Christianity eclipsed it over the next 200 years after Paul. Paul who brought the message of the gospel here so long ago that disrupted the local trade in small Artemis statues. The Goths, a tribe from present day Germany, destroyed this temple in 262 AD and the ruins of it were reused in other building projects. Now, all that remains are these foundations and column fragments of what was once considered a true wonder of the ancient world. The centerpiece for the temple that once stood here at Ephesus was a 30-foot tall altar and a huge statue to Artemis carved out of ebony. Smaller statues have been discovered around the city of Ephesus, including this one, nearly intact, human-sized Artemis statue carved out of marble, now housed here at the Ephesus Museum. Now, similar to this one, all Artemis statues that have been discovered are decorated with a zodiac necklace, animal figurines, and these strange objects on its chest and stomach. Scholars disagree as to what these objects really are, but nearly all agree that they symbolize fertility. Now, during the time of Paul, Artemis and her magnificent temple served as the focal point for the entire city of Ephesus. And according to Acts chapter 19, any threats against her or it would be responded to with swift action.
0: guys. I thought it was a pretty good summary of kind of what they faced uh, in that time. And even though that particular uh, temple was located outside the city, it was still central. And if you read Acts 19, you can see, I think one of the things that stuck out to me when I was watching that video was like when he said um, the gospel of Christ interrupted that city. (laughs) That's what the gospel does. It interrupts people's lives and so you think about how the lord just changed those people and how fervent they can became for the gospel of christ it just i think the historical piece to it's very important as you unfold um this particular section in revelation 2 because you kind of come to understand that you know the temptations around them and the things that they faced um, and the hostility that was there by demetrius if you read that story In Acts 19 you'll see that and so in the midst of all that here comes Paul in the gospel right he's marching forward uh, with that and so that occurred between the years 54 and 56. Um, In 57 one of the things that's recorded in the book of Acts is remember when Paul calls the Ephesian elders to Miletus to the island of Miletus that's what he does there and he speaks to them and what's impressive about that particular section of Scripture in Acts 20 is the love that they have for one another. Now that's very important when you think about the instruction that is given in Revelation 2. This this love that they have for one another comes as a result of their love for the Lord. Alright, and so that's going to be met with um, some pretty strong language in Revelation 2 because something had changed uh, in their lives. Um, Notice what is there you say, well, where's the love for Paul and these people? I don't see the word love there. You don't have to see the word love. Okay, look at the verse uh, 20, uh, verse 27, excuse me. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, remember, he's meeting in the context with the elders of Ephesus. And what's he telling them? Hey, look, I didn't leave out anything. You know what happened today? When it comes to the gospel, do you know, people leave out things. Not everybody's faithful. So what Paul is saying here is, I love you so much, I'm giving it all to you. In fact, the picture here is, my hands are clean. I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Wouldn't it be nice if at your funeral... Someone was to stand up and say, this is their testimony. They did not fail to declare the whole counsel of God to their children and their grandchildren and anybody they came in contact with. Wouldn't that be nice? Be nice. If you get to bury me, please say that because I I am declaring the whole counsel of the Lord as best as I know how. and I'm not going to hold back. You know what people are afraid of today? Well, I'm I'm just afraid they're going to be offended by what I say. They are. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Hey, listen, but what a great message we have, right? What a great message we have. And then you see their love for them. I think the thing that struck me, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But look, look at the middle of that. He says, and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. Why? Because he said he wasn't going to be able to, to be with them anymore. And, and so you see that they just loved his presence. But the thing that captured me, because I'm an every word in the scripture kind of guy. It says, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Now you look at that and you go, okay, Thad, do you really have to make a comment about that? I do. And here's why. It's the book. Why did it? Luke put that. Why was that recorded? They loved the presence of their brother. And they were going to miss that. And so they went all the way to the ship with him. It reminded me of my grandmother's love for me. My grandma and my mom's mom was quite a lady. Man, she can make fried chicken. Best fried chicken I've ever eaten in my life. She made. You know how much I love that? Actually, she brought me some fried chicken one time from Arkansas all the way to New York. Isn't that awesome? What a grandmother. Um, my grandmother, every time we would leave their home, right, after our visit, she would walk outside, and she'd come to the van, and she'd stand right there, and one of the most crushing times for me was to drive away from her. And as I was reading this, I'm like,
1: that's my grandma.
0: Why did they accompany him to the ship? They loved him. They loved him. Guess They wanted to be with him. That's what believers, they want to be with one another, right? So, that's part of their history in 57. You advance it to 62, and there's been a decade about since that church started. And you see here in um, this letter to them in 62, he commends them for their love. And you have to note that when you come 35 years later in what's being said in Revelation 2. He says, notice he says, For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you. Right? How fun must that have been for Paul to write. While making mention of you in my prayers, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a... Love incorruptible, with a love that's incorruptible, an undying love. That's what he's saying. So you have this commendation that he gives to them. Their love's great, it's grand, everything's good. You read that and you're like, hey, these guys are doing well. Well, there's some time there in between 62 and and 96 um, where many scholars believe, biblical scholars believe, that the Apostle John had interaction with the church at Ephesus. When you think about the church at Ephesus, man. They had the who's who, right? I mean, they had the Apostle Paul, right? They had Timothy. We know uh, it's written about in First Timothy. We have the Apostle John, Tychicus. I mean, they got some big time dudes. They're involved in their lives. Um, they have no excuse, right? If you're just looking at it from that perspective, man, they got the best teachers. Um, In fact, it's believed that, you remember the statement that the Lord Jesus makes from the cross to John. Many scholars believe that Mary, in fact, was a part of that church as well uh, during that time. Well, then um, you advance the pages to 96, where we're at in this particular letter. And it's during the reign of Domitian, and he was a ruthless man. Okay, hated Christians. In fact, it's believed that John was arrested by uh, Domitian. And, and we know he was exiled to the island of Patmos. When his arrest came, we don't know exactly. But he was exiled to the island of Patmos, thus we have the letter of the Revelation. Um, and notice that his specific concern for the church was that they had left their first love. So let's go to the text itself, and I want to uh, show you a couple of things that we need to see right from the very beginning, I think, in order to appreciate the content here. The first thing that we need to appreciate is verse 7. All right, I want you to look at verse 7. He who has an ear. This is a strange statement to us, probably. As we look at it, we're like, what are you talking about? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Says to the what? Church? Churches. All right? Oh, okay. This, remember, I said earlier, these letters circulated. This was intended not only for Ephesus, but for all the churches there in Asia Minor. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. In other words, this comes from the Lord to the churches. And so, this is bigger than any IRS letter that they ever got. This is all about, hey, this is the Spirit of God. You need to listen to what He says. It ought to get your attention. And So what's so different about now? It fits for us too, right? So it needs to get our attention. So we need to hear what the Spirit says to us um, as we come to this section. But then it's interesting to me that not only does the Lord want them to listen up, right, pay attention to what's being said, but it's interesting to me the way that this particular letter starts out. Um, each one of these letters start out in a similar way in referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And while, when I began to consider this, you know, my temptation was to teach four and five and move on to the next thing. You can't do that. If you're teaching, man, you just got to go back to the beginning. So I go back to the beginning and I start looking at this and I start thinking about, well, what is the Lord trying to communicate to his church through the Apostle John? Where do you start? I mean, listen, you could go, man, these guys, they had it all together. Church of the year, the church at Ephesus. But it's interesting to me the way he reminds them of who He is. Okay, that is very important for us to grab onto. That the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Apostle John, wanted to remind the church at Ephesus, this is who I am. And Goodness gracious, the church today needs to be reminded of who the Lord is. There is so much attention on so many other things. Well, what if we just said, this week we're going to focus our attention only on the Lord. Besides the specific things that we have to do because we just have to do them, like go to the bathroom and eat. But every other moment, I'm going to focus in as much as I can, Lord. I'm going to focus in on you. I think that's exactly what's going on here. What specifically about the Lord does the author point out to us? First of all, I've kind of outlined this beginning with this is your Lord, this is who he is. Now, notice what it says. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. What in the world? What does that
2: mean? Well,
0: glad you asked. Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, underscore right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are who? The angels, the messengers, the pastors. I don't know what your viewpoint is there, but the messenger, okay? The messengers of these churches. And so he says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So the seven stars are the messengers. So as I'm reading through that and I'm studying, I'm like, right hand, right hand. Oh, yeah. Right hand's a big deal. In the scriptures, right hand points to power, to authority, And I'm like, power. What does the author want these believers to remember? That the Lord is not just powerful, but he's what?
3: All-powerful.
0: I remember the temptation in that city was the temple Artemis. And you, you see back in the 60s how God interrupted all that through the message of the gospel. And I think he's reminding these Ephesian believers, hey, look, that may be the power for the people, but I'm the power. I'm the power. Um, So that first statement I think of, I think of the Lord being not just powerful in that phrase there, right hand. In fact, if you went through Psalm 17, 18, 20, and then Isaiah 41, those are just four scriptures that I have in my notes. Go there and look at this uh, phrase right hand. Because it points to the omnipotence of our Lord. He's all-powerful. In fact, I just picked out one verse. You have many assignments today. I'm just going to let you know that. Go through the scriptures. Look at the the, the verses that talk about our all-powerful God. Jeremiah 32. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. And by your great power and by your outstretched arm... Nothing is too hard for you. Now, how many times have we slighted the Lord and said, well, it's just going to be too difficult. Yeah, the Lord can't change this person. What do you mean he can't change that person? He can do what he wants to do. I mean, think about it. He created man out of dust. That's the kind of God we're talking about. And we're saying, well, he can't change. He can change people. He changed you, didn't he? He changed me. Man, I, look, I get so excited when I think about. He made the heavens and the earth, and we're just privileged to a small part of that. Okay, our eyes can only see so much. It would be kind of cool to go to the moon, but our eyes have only seen so much, right? I remember one time snorkeling in, in Belize, and and um, it was the first time I went in 1992. And we got down. We had our equipment on, and I'm, I'm down. And I literally confessed right there to the Lord. I said, "Lord, I'm sorry. I mean, I have, I am so sorry. I got my my goggles on, and I'm looking at all these fish that the incredible colors. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, I've confined you to this. I mean, right? That's what we need reminders, don't we? That our God is all powerful, and that's exactly what they got. They got a reminder that indeed God is all-powerful. There was an Anglican clergyman and writer in the 1600s, Jeremy Taylor, and um, he wrote this. It is impossible, I love this quote, it is impossible for man to despair who remembers that his helper is omnipotent. (laughs) Isn't that great? He's all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with our God. He saved Teresa's grandfather at 90. And he lived one year for the Lord just testifying about the power of the Lord in his life to save him. And and his wife had prayed for him for over 65 years. You tell me God can't change things? He changes things. He's all powerful. They needed to be reminded of his omnipotence. But they also needed to be, be reminded of his omniscience. Like what are you talking about? Good, here's the answer. Look at this. The one who holds the seven stars, the messengers in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are you talking about these lampstands? Look in verse 20 of chapter 1. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are who? Seven churches. And it says here, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among or in the middle of. That's the better translation. He's walking in the middle of. You mean he doesn't just go from Ephesus to Thyatira? No, he's in the middle of all the churches. Why? Because he can be. Because our Lord is omnipresent. I think of all the um, attributes of the Lord this is the one that's hardest for me to understand. I, I, I'm just being honest with you. I was wrestling through this this week. I'm like, man, Lord. Okay, omnipotent, I get, I see a lot of illustrations. Uh, omniscient, I see that omnipresence. I, I can't even, can you fathom that? Shake your head no. You can't. There's no way to fathom that. Why? Because we're limited. We're limited, right? Physically... And mentally limited. Um, I like what Jeremiah says here. Can a man hide himself in secret places? This is what the Lord says. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? And <laughs> you think immediately about who? Adam and Eve. What are they doing? Hide and go seek, right? I mean, please. Um declares the Lord do I not feel the heavens and the earth declares the Lord there is no one nowhere that anyone can hide from the presence of the Lord that's just something that for me is just like wow Lord I don't understand that completely but I believe it I believe it and he was among the seven churches all at one time you know what guys he sees his church today and he's among all of us at once we say that out loud, but do we believe it? I believe it. And you know what's so incredible about my God? It's He's not confused by any of it. I like what John MacArthur says about the omnipresence of the Lord. He says, transcendence means that God is greater than and than an independent of the creation. Immensity refers to the fact that God transcends and fills all space. And omnipresence indicates that God is present with every point of space in his entire being. (laughs) grab on that. You're like, wow, what a God we serve. The right message for the church at Ephesus, absolutely. The right message for us, absolutely. But he's not just omnipotent and omnipresent, but he's omniscient. You say, Thad, where do you get that? Mm, start at verse 2. Notice what it says. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Picture of authority, of power. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's in the middle of them. He says this, I know. What well, what is the Lord know? Now, if you walked up to me and said, I know, I don't assume that you know everything. Right? If, you, if I walk up to you and I go, I know, you're not... Well, that knows everything. I don't know everything. Do you know everything? I don't know everything. Do you? No, you don't. But there is one that does. And do you know what the Lord is telling the church at Ephesus? I know everything about you. Everything about you. Just like he knows everything about us. Everything. In fact, we know this verse... I think it brings comfort, but it's also convicting. Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. None. But all things are open and laid bare. Exposed is the idea. To the eyes of him to whom we must give what? Account. Account. I am certainly glad I am not going to be at the great white throne judgment. But I am going to be at the bema seat, and there's not one thing that the Lord does not know about my life, past, present, or future. He knows about it full well, just like He knows yours. Aren't we thankful for grace? (laughs) When you think about that, aren't you thankful for grace? I mean, immediately some things started coming to my mind. Man, Lord, I'm thankful for grace. Man, Lord, I'm thankful for forgive for forgiveness. And I can't even imagine this to be the case, Lord, but I am thankful that one day, because of your grace, I am going to be face-to-face with you in all your glory. The church has lost sight of the attributes of the Lord today. Guys, we need to remember who we serve. It's not somebody who knows a little, or a lot, as we think of a lot, he knows all things. A.W. Pink. I like A.W. Pink. If you find books by A.W. Pink and you do not want them, come see me. I will take them off your hands. I'll even pay you for the books. Notice what he says about the omniscience of the Lord, God not only knows whatsoever has happened in the past in every part of his vast domains, and he is not only thoroughly acquainted with everything that is now transpiring throughout the entire universe. (laughs) That just blows my mind. But he is also perfectly cognizant of every event from the least to the greatest. You mean he's aware of COVID-19? Yep. Yep. Fully aware, I got to thinking about that. You know, COVID nineteen is a real disease, and there have been people that have died from it. I got to thinking about Revelation chapter six. They'll be begging for COVID nineteen when that comes. You know what, guys? I just put, needs to put our mind more on mission. God's given us a mission. Look at this, but he is also perfectly cognizant of every event from the least to the greatest that will ever happen in the ages to come. God's knowledge of the future is as complete as his knowledge of the past and present, and that because the future depends entirely upon himself. Were it in any wise possible for something to occur apart from either the direct agency or permission of God, then that something would be independent of him and he would at once cease to be supreme. I hate to have to close here because I could just go till noon and they could just join us in the second service. But I probably need to stop because the next point is going to take me a while as well. Guys, I wanted to close today with a time for you and a time for me. I find it quite interesting that the author begins this letter with a reminder of who the Lord is. Hey, and I know in our busy moments that we have in the weeks, there are many things that we do. I recognize that. But I've been reminded through this study of how important it is to think upon the one who saved us and the one who called us and the one who separated us to himself. And the one who's coming back for us. I want you to bow with me. And as we close in prayer. I'm going to give you a minute or two. And just for you to have some silent time with the Lord. I'd like for all of us just to ask the Lord. To just give us a hunger and a desire more. To be in fellowship with him and in his word. I think of the story of, of Moses and as he used to go to Egypt and say to Pharaoh let my people go meaning the Lord wanted Pharaoh to let his people go Moses said Who should I say sent me? And the answer is I am. I am. Meaning the God who is self existent and eternal. The God who loves us, as we sang this morning, loved us so much the Bible says that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. While wow, Lord, we cling to those words. When I think about the Apostle John, he wrote about your love. A man who was committed to you, who you. Who was known as the beloved disciple. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to love you. To be in awe of who you are. I know I've been privileged to go many places in my life and travel, and I've seen some incredible, incredible, your incredible creation, and and I stand there in awe. I've been to Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, all these places and your mouth drops open and you go, wow. And As beautiful as those places are, to think that one day, and as you see time, one day soon, your children will see you face to face in all your glory. I pray that we would stand amazed at the one that loves us. I think about the way these believers had to have received that letter. What a great reminder for them. Oh, you're not just serving any God. You're not serving some goddess. You are serving the one who is all-powerful. You're serving the one who is omnipresent. You're serving the one that knows all things, meaning he knows our hearts. And when we think about that, Lord, I pray that it would bring us to a point of repentance. That indeed you would move us to remember, remember that day, remember that time. When we said, yes, Lord. And we confessed our sins. And we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. I pray you'd remind us of that great time in our life this week. And so as we look at other people and we think about them, we would look and think in terms of eternity. Where will these folks spend eternity? Eternity. Keep us teachable by your spirit as we live each day for your glory and for your honor because you are the absolute only one worthy of praise and honor and glory. Help us to be reflective today on the relationship and the fellowship that we enjoy with you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.